The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Lovely to see you all this Friday morning. You're watching Scorebox, and these are your headlines. So, NVIDIA at $277 billion, $277 billion to its market cap, one session, smashing the record for value added in a single session and powering record stock market highs across three continents. Standard Chartered sees an 18% jump in annual pre-tax profit, with the lender announcing a $1 billion buyback and a hefty hike to its dividend. I'm actually sitting next to Bill Winters, the CEO. He'll join us in a couple of moments' time. Reddit files to go public in New York, potentially listing in the coming weeks in what would be Wall Street's first social media IPO since Pinterest in 2019. And the U.S. preparing 500 new sanctions. That's against Russia then, of course. That happens as President Biden meets with the family of Alexei Navalny ahead of the two-year anniversary of the Ukraine war tomorrow. We saw the power of NVIDIA stock yesterday, not just powering the AI story, but also powering the broader market. And you can see records across on the major indices. Uh, the likes of the Dow, fresh all-time intraday high, fresh record close. Uh, most positive was Salesforce, but uh, very much a stock seen at the forefront of AI as well. On the S&P, it was NVIDIA driving that rally, the most positive stock on the market, fresh all-time highs intraday and by the close. And NASDAQ getting back to record territory as well. NVIDIA, what have we got here? Well, you've had the earnings release after the bell day prior, the market raking over what were monster numbers, and also the commentary that you're seeing AI spread across a number of different industries. So effectively, we saw the ability of the chief executive and founder, Jensen Huang, to move the market as he spoke about an AI tipping point. So effectively, uh, a lot of investors looking at this journey saying there's more in it. And we saw right across the board from the US markets to uh, stocks in Japan, to stocks in Europe all moving on the back of this AI story. So huge journey. The question is whether this is again another high water level and whether it is a moment for investors to think about managing their exposure to markets. That was a lot of the chatter out there on the markets yesterday. But don't forget, if you look at the major banks from UBS to Goldman Sachs, all adjusting recently their year-end targets as we've hit some of the high levels already just in a matter of months. So uh, the question is whether to stay invested at this point or to take profits. Right, Standard Chartered uh, has announced a $1 billion share buyback after posting an 18% jump in uh, pre-tax profit for 2023. The lender struck a cautious tone on its income growth outlook. We'll get to that. Uh, forecasting between 5 and 7% this year, down from 10% in 2023. Bill Winters is the CEO of Standard Chartered, and uh, I'm delighted to say he's joining Karen and I. And Karen, you don't know this, but Bill, I just said, Bill, how long have we got you for? He goes, as long as you want. Oh, so three hours of the show. Well, three yeah. hours apart from the fact we've got Oliver Better, who also is a very important CEO after the break. So a good start to the show. Um, Bill, there's a lot going on in your numbers. Why don't you just give us a, a broad brush of, of how you see it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot and a little. The good news is we've hit all of our financial targets. Uh, we hit most of our strategic targets ahead of plan. We set out three-year plans two years ago. 
Uh, most of them were, were nailed in 2023. The rest are going to be done very quickly, if not already. Good set of results, uh, good strong growth, and we look to that growth to extend. So we've got a, a, a we say five to seven percent income growth range for the next three years. Uh, we say we'll be at the top end of that range in 2024, uh, and uh, we're going to do that with, uh, with with an ongoing focus on costs. You know, maybe the most encouraging thing is, is that we've had really very strong asset quality for a half a decade now, and that's through COVID. Uh, and that hasn't always been the case in, in a lot of the emerging markets where we operate. And we think about some of the things that have been going on, China real estate and, and, and yeah. debt restructuring. To have very, very low levels of loan impairment is, is, is encouraging. So uh, all in all, we get to uh, over uh, into double digits on return on tangible equity, and we're going to keep on going from there. And I think that's the key point. Look, some people would have liked to see higher rates going forward as well. Um, there's a big range between what the best in class and the worst in class in the sector. But, but given that the rate is still pretty much intact, I know we can argue about the decimals, it's pretty much intact despite everything that's going on in China. You've got to be pleased with that, and it shows how the diversified model is working. But how concerned are you? You've got Bohai problems. Noel Quinn was talking about Bocom in the last 24 hours as well. China's just not recovering, is it? Look, China grew 5.2% in GDP growth. Did it? Yeah, that's not a bad number. Are, it, it, are it, you sure it grew 5.2%? Because that's an official figure, Bill. That is, that is an official and figure. I see a lot of bad trade data. I see a lot of unemployment data. I see a lot of things that don't yeah. add up to 5.2%. First of all, maybe give the headline for Standard Chartered. We set the target two years ago of doubling our profit in three years. We are $100 million short at $1.3 of doubling in two years. All right, so this is very good growth for us in China. Why are we growing despite the fact that GDP growth is slower than it has been? Hey, I'll wake up at 5.2% growth and feel okay about that uh, yeah. in, in most countries. Uh, but our job is to connect China to the rest of the world. As the domestic economy in China is a little bit slower, and it is a little bit slower, right? Our onshore business is growing in mid-single digits. It's growing, but mid-single digits. China looks out, so internationalize the RMB, open up their capital markets, cross-border trade, huge reconfiguration of supply chains within Asia, uh, from China to the rest of Asia, Middle East, Africa, et cetera, and it's going both ways. That's our job, we do it well and we double our profits. Okay, so good. Uh, what's going on in China? I think China is in fundamentally good shape. Now, uh, you and I, I, I'm sure I've got a whole click on Asia ahead of you, but you know, we grew up at, during times when the US, the UK, Japan, China went through major transitions from kind of old industrial economies to new services economies. China's going through that right now. Now, when you and I went through this in our good old days, we had massive recessions, financial crises, social dislocation, inequality, nightmare. China said, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do it that way. We're gonna be a little bit more deliberate about how we transition. I spent a week in, 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 uh, in Guangdong province, so Guangzhou and Shenzhen in the fall. Uh, visited all the EV manufacturers, the EV supply, e electric vehicles, supply chain, the battery makers, the components. I mean, it's booming, absolutely yeah. booming. And, and it's the same in everything sustainability related to turbines, the solar panels. Uh, so you know, you've got the, and then of course services are picking up and the consumers picking up in China. So new economy stuff, good. Old economy stuff, mostly real estate, not so good. And we took our pain in that, quite modest in the overall scheme of things. Uh, is China going to come out the back end of this? Yeah, yeah. China's going to come out the back end in good shape.
Can I add to the not so good being the geopolitics and there's this McKinsey report that the FT has been flagging today that McKinsey has supposedly advised China to deepen its relationship between business and the military, which we know has not gone so well in terms of some of the sanctions that have been applied in particular to chips. What happens later this year or if we have another Trump administration? Do those geopolitics again worsen, making doing business in China more complex for Western companies? It's very hard to say. I mean, obviously, Trump uh, in the first round was, was quite unpredictable. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's the best way to have an impact in terms of your, your geopolitical objectives. But you know, I'll leave that to presidents to decide. Uh, you know, there was a thought that, that Biden would be somehow gentler. Well, he's not been a gentler at all. I mean, he's, Biden is, has, and, and, and Blinken and company have turned up the volume significantly in, in terms of, but they've done it in a predictable way. Uh, and I won't say predictable in the sense that there were no surprises, but it's been a steady increase in pressure. I think they flagged very well the, the, the considerations. Uh, I tend to think that's a better approach in terms of getting results, but who knows? Time will tell. Let me step to the net interest income and also NIMS, and this has been such a huge focus on the back of the interest rate story. If we look at your net interest income up 6% in the final quarter, net interest margin also expanded three basis points on the quarter. What sort of expansion can you generate from here, given we feel like we're going into a cycle of some form of rate cuts, even though they seem to be pushed out a little bit further than expected? Yeah, it, it does seem they're going to be pushed out a bit further. And of course, each time I've come and talked to you about this, I've, I've had that view. And sometimes I feel like I'm right. Sometimes I feel like I'm wrong. Right now, I'm, I'm feeling that that's probably right. But rates are going to come down. Right? They, may, they may not come down as quickly as we think, but they're going to come down uh, at some point when economic growth slows. That may not be until next year, but uh, that will happen. And that will impact our business. But what happens when, when rates come down, on the one hand, our, our net interest income, all else equal, will be lower. But of course, in a lower rate environment, there's much more demand for loans. And so, so we, our bet is that we'll offset the reduction in, in, in net interest margin coming from lower rates with volume growth, but also mixed changes. So, so for us, uh, we, part of the reason we have very low loan impairments is that we have relatively little exposure to commercial real estate, relatively little exposure to unsecured consumer credit. Uh, relatively little exposure to leverage finance, all those leverage buyout type things. Uh, and these are areas that, that, that we can actually safely and, and profitably grow that improves the overall yield of the portfolio, which is why we've been able to say our net interest income will go up despite the reduction in interest rates that we all expect. Um, I'm very interested in the line you said in your first answer to Karen, I think it was, or was your second answer to me anyway. <laughs> our job is to connect China to the rest of the world. Um, the rest of the world is decoupling from China in terms of its investment at the moment, FDI at multi-year, I think multi-decade mm. lows into China as well. A, what are the clients saying to you? You're saying a relatively positive story on China to your clients. They're turning around saying, I don't want any of it, despite the stock markets falling aggressively as well. So A, what are they saying about why they're not in China? And B, where are they putting their money? So first of all, in terms of money flows, because the big reduction in money flows into China is into the bond markets, reductions, because Chinese interest rates are low. So nobody's getting paid to, to uh, put their money into Chinese bonds when you could hold treasuries at, at a higher return. Uh, so that, that's, and that's the big money. Uh, but you're right in terms of sort of equity FDI, it's, it's reduced and it's reduced uh, both because international companies are diversifying away from the Chinese supply chains uh, and also because Chinese companies are diversifying their own manufacturing outside of China, uh, which makes sense. You know, China's no longer the low cost producer. And of course, China is also subject to tariffs and, and, and other things, which uh, Vietnam or uh, uh, even a Korea, Malaysia, India even, uh, is not subject to. So uh, I think that's, that's a, a long-term pattern where China will diversify its economy away from, from uh, mass manufacturing. 
is still the biggest manufacturer in the world and will be for many, many years to come. Uh, but they'll diversify away from that into other things. And the investments into those other things, in, in particular in the, in the tech and services sector, is still quite strong. I'm just going to come back to credit impairments. Uh, the, the fourth quarter, the charge was down. Really interesting environment as we talk about what happens with interest rates as well. If we don't get the rate cuts at the front end of this year and they get pushed out further on, what does that mean in terms of impairments? Do they start to rise because of the pressure we're seeing people under from higher interest rates? Yeah, you know, we've seen tiny, tiny bits of uh, pickup in, in delinquencies in consumer credit in some markets, including China, but really very, very small in, in the overall scheme of things. So there's, there's not a big consumer reaction. And, and of course we ask ourselves, why is that? Well, the first thing is the economies are still growing. Right? I mean, and, and while unemployment has picked up a bit, it's still, it's still quite low. And I'm, I'm talking about China. In ASEAN, economies are growing very nicely and employment is, is strong. So uh, and these in India as well, very strong GDP growth. Middle East, Africa is, is remarkably resilient. I mean, we generated, an over 12% return in Africa last year, despite all of the, the restructurings and the, and the challenges that we've heard. So, uh, so while we've seen, <coughs> excuse me, a little pickup in, uh, in delinquencies, it's not particularly concerning. And we've seen no sign of challenge on the, on the corporate side, of course, with the exception of real estate in China, which has not improved. Uh, it's not, but you know, we, we've written off 88%. We've got provisions for 88% of our, of, of our at-risk exposure. Uh, that's extremely cautious, and we were way ahead of the game uh, in doing that, so, which is part of the reason that we've not uh, had any, any meaningful impairments in the fourth quarter. Bill, in your um, copy today, there's a whole, thing, a whole section you're talking about various issues and challenges in the Middle East and what have you, but you also talk about sustainability as well. You and I and CNBC and Karen, of course, have spoken a lot about sustainability in the past as well. And I was just looking at a piece that you got on your website from um, late last year, the $80 trillion question as well. I'm seeing a complete withdrawal of commitments from a lot of key financiers on their climate and sustainability and net zero commitments, despite everything that was achieved by Dr. Sultan at COP28 as well. How concerned are you that actually there's a lot of backtracking going on? Well, first of all, I hope that's not right, what you've observed. Uh, I've, I've seen some backing away. Uh, but I've not seen from U.S. investors. Well, uh, I, th I think what you've seen from a lot of U.S. investors, obviously, it's the political environment in the U.S. is toxic times 10, and uh, so people are going quiet. Uh, but you know, but, but one of the stats that I love is you know, that the biggest renewable power center in the United States is the state of Texas, right? Yeah. which is the, the, the state that's been leading the charge against uh, pension fund managers who have a, you know, a woke agenda or whatever. Um, I mean, I, I do want to wake up one day and have a planet, so if that makes me woke, you know, yeah. shoot me. Uh, 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 ditto. But, but when I see no, but, 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 but just, just to, to your question, I, I don't think there's been a big backing away. Look, we, we, we set out sort of a, tool, a dual track set of objectives two, three, four, five years ago, mm -hmm. and we've been constantly refining our, uh, our net zero methodology. Uh, we said, one, we're going to be thought leaders and, and, and action leaders in terms of policies around net zero, and, and our clients have completely engaged with us. We see no backing away from that at all. Uh, and second, as we said, we're going to build a business to support our clients. And that business made $720 million last year. And we've said it's going to make a billion dollars next year. That's not nothing. Uh, that, that, it's a good business for us. And, and I love that. Uh, even though I, you can feel slightly mercantilist at times, uh, if you don't make a decent return on this business, you can't keep on throwing resources at it up to a point. So this is not philanthropy. This is not political uh, wokeness. This is do the right thing for the planet, do the right thing for your business. That's what we're doing. And I don't see other people backing Sorry. away from that. Okay. Uh, speaking of the business overall, like M&A, it's the question we have to ask every time, given the first Abu Dhabi Bank uh, was circling at one point. 
It feels as though we are seeing a few deals in the sector. I mean, in the United mm. States in the past week, we saw two credit card companies yeah. looking to consolidate. In Europe, it feels like there's appetite, even if the regulation is not quite friendly enough for some of the banks to execute at this yeah. stage. What do you see? Are there, are there drivers now that are different to, say, 12 months ago, where we could see more consolidation in banking? I think we've, uh, we've expected for some time that you'd see effectively in-market consolidation. And, and, you have, and I would say that the, the Capital One Discover deal is, is, is in-market consolidation. Uh, the, uh, you've seen you know, many sort of intra-countries in Europe bits of consolidation. You would expect at some point that there'd be an intra-Europe consolidation. You're still not seeing a lot of cross-border stuff. And I think that comes largely from the, from the fact that, that regulation doesn't lend itself to cross-border cooperation that way. Uh, could it come at some point? Sure. Uh, but I don't see it on the, on the immediate horizon. Um. We've got to think about I, I, 10 seconds or 20 seconds. Have you got a line on NVIDIA? I've never seen anything like it. No, I, I, want to, I want to wake up and, and uh, be the CEO of NVIDIA, but you know, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, uh, but uh, no, look, AI, AI, AI. We're uh, talking about how long you and I have been around. I've, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, it's fantastic. Right? It's, it's, it's innovation in action uh, you know, on, on every front. I love to watch it. Yeah. We're beneficiaries of it enormously. Uh, okay. And there we go. All right, lovely to see you. Bill, thanks for your time. Thank you very nice much. To see you. Um, you. Bill Winters, CEO of Standard Chartered. Arabina, what's coming up? Well, Steve Allian, CEO Oliver Bad, uh, joins us next as well then as the insurer posts record results. Also ahead though, as the war in Ukraine enters its third year, Aneta looks at how Germany is seeking to boost security out in Europe. And Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners' earnings are due out in less than an hour. We'll hear from the CFO. That's coming up at 8.15 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Allianz reported a 17% rise in fourth quarter operating profit of 3.3 billion euros driven by its life and health insurance business, 3.8 billion the number. The company is targeting nearly 15 billion euros in operating profit for 2024. Oliver Bete joins us now, the CEO of Allianz. Oliver, great to have you back on board with us. I can see at the 12-month level in the fourth quarter that you call out life and health as one of the key segments driving operating profit. Why are these two sectors doing particularly well this year? Good morning to London first. Thank you very much for having me. Um, the first answer is all our segments are actually going very strong, which is very important for Allianz. We are well diversified across all segments. And people have not, to answer your question, expected to do our very strong, probably leading life a franchise in the world doing so well. But also asset management in the fourth quarter has caught up. Uh, given the pressure still on bonds market, it was a remarkable result. And just to talk about flows, it continues into this year. The first few weeks, we had more flows into the fund management business than had we had in all of last year. So the business is doing extremely well. 
ask you about the outlook then, because uh, this year, 14.7 billion in operating profit for next year, you're guiding in the range of 14.8 billion euros, plus or minus 1 billion euros. That looks a little bit weak. Uh, what are you seeing on the horizon that gives you a little bit of lack of visibility and suggestion earnings may actually even be lower? The issue what we always do, uh, we are very conservative. We are operating in a world, you know, that is on the brink of war in many regions of the world. And it has been a good tradition at Allianz, when you look at the last uh, number of years that have been in charge, that we take last year's results as the core of what we expect to continue, plus one. But when you look at the numbers the last few years, we have done 6% more. So we'd like to be conservative to not just continuously have to update the market on how are we doing relative to target. That's the real reason. We are very confident about this year as well. Why is that? One, I mentioned the flows back into the life insurance business is extremely stable. You see that the new accounting results, our CSM and cash flow distribution, extremely strong. And we've had massive increases in effective rates on our book that are now coming through, even in the most challenged market, double digit uh, effective price increases. So uh, this year is going to look at least as good as last year. Um how dependent, Oliver, really nice to see you, by the way. Thanks for joining both of us. How dependent are these extraordinary profits that you and all the other, we're talking to the CEOs of AXA, of Zurich in the last 48 hours, etc. How long can these really extended profits last? It feels like we're at the top of a cycle, a sweet spot in terms of rates, in terms of premiums, in terms of ROE. I just wonder, do you see a time, if you're saying it's going to be at least as good this coming year, when actually that's going to abate? It's a very good question. Thank you very much. Uh, it, we are very different from our competitors because uh, the companies that you have just mentioned are basically purely left in property casualty insurance and have a significant exposure to commercial lines. We have where we have seen once in a decade high profitability, by the way, also at Allianz now with record earnings and record profitability. But remember, we have an extremely strong retail business that is stronger than almost anybody else. And on top, we have one of the leading life franchises in the world where for our new business, for example, we are not consuming any more capital. Uh, so we're adding uh, cash flow every year and the asset management is back, particularly on the bond side, which has been under pressure because of uh, rising and high rates for the last few years. So we have a totally different uh, structure and a lot more resilience than many, many other companies. Um, interesting that um, I look in PNC and I'm seeing a little bit of uh, tightening on the combined ratio, um, only a little bit. And obviously your NatCat losses and claims went up a tad again as well. Oliver, is that a trend or is it an aberration? So that's it again. Excellent question. We had another record year of a NatCat hits. And by the world, the world is changing. We, we're not just having very large events. But what you're seeing now is sort of what we call microcyclones. We had a number of them in Europe last year. And that's why we are increasing our, the net lead, uh, netcat load in our premium calculations to 3%, which is basically doubling relative to 10 years ago. And netcat activity is continuing increasing. The key question is, can we reprice for it? And the answer is absolutely yes. And we are redoing also our reinsurance programs. Remember, Allianz is one of the few insurance companies in the world that can place an aggregate cover to the reinsurance market. So why we have to retain more net uh, 
cat activity, we also have very good capital basis. The key thing is, however, to stay on our toes, to manage inflation, and you're going to see uh, significant, significantly better pricing and results in retail this year. Can I forecast all netcat? No, I can't. Oliver, let me ask you about asset management then. Now, very different 12 months versus the fourth quarter. Lower revenues over the 12 months. Fourth quarter, you bounce back. We've had terrific markets. It feels like it's been fairly easy out there in the asset management world. What did you witness over the year and what do you see ahead? The key thing, as you remember, is uh, the bond markets for us. We are, you know, predominantly fixed income driven and uh, the colleagues have had very, very tough two years because of what happens on the rate markets. Even if you are having the best fixed income manager in the world like we have with PINCO, it was really tough. And they have had a tough time in 22. Performance, investment performance was outstanding in 23. And with that, the flows have come back. People are more optimistic. By the way, very important. People have said, ah, it's all going to go into passive. It's not true. More than 60% of net inflows are now going back into active so we're optimistic that our colleagues at PIMCO and AGI are capturing the opportunity. Oliver, last time we spoke in Davos, you were bemoaning some of the reporting around the German economy, saying it wasn't that bad. But in recent days, we have heard it is that bad. In fact, troubled waters spelt out by uh, the, the German uh, economics minister as we see the reassessment of the growth rate for this year to barely any growth at all, it's just 0.2%. So what are you seeing versus the German government now? So, uh, again, excellent observation. We have a little bit of a dichotomy here. The companies like Allianz that have a global footprint, that they're leaders in their industry, they're leading in performance and customer satisfaction, they're leading in employee motivation, are doing extremely well. And we are one of them. However, there is enormous nervousness in the business community about the lack of leadership on the political sphere and the inability, and that's not just in Germany, it's in all of Europe, to make proper reforms rather than massive uh, regulation and massive bureaucracy in order to think about the future. So what we are also concerned about, we need to make progress for the average person. We need to have infrastructure function and not permanent wild strikes. We have to a school to function and for the people that work every day, the people that have to go to work every day and don't hang uh, around at home, they need to see that life is improving for them. That is creating the political pressure that you've also observed, like in the US, where you see a polarization, even in Germany now. So it's time to really get on with life and fix the, the things and stop having political leaders trying to rescue the world. Think about the working people on the street, and then things will be better, as always in the past. So long term, I'm positive, but we really need to change the way we run this company, uh, this country from the political side. Yeah, and that's very pertinent as well. Um, can I go from politicians to central bankers as well? Because I just looking at your, you mentioned the AUM increase, uh, Oliver, up 82 billion. I mean, the, the power that you have when you have 2.224 trillion dollars, or big pardon, euros uh, under management as well. Does the bulk of that money find its way, and I, I draw on your PIMCO comments as well, into the bond market, or are there better places to put your money at the moment? 
There are many good ways to put your money. We think about this for the long run. I observed your sort of previous conversation. Um, uh, we are very cautious about some of the values in the tech sector. We know when, when we invest, if I was individually investing, great idea. As an institutional investor, you need to be a bit careful. But to answer your questions, there is a lot of value back in the bond markets. There is a lot of value in the areas they're building out, like blended finance and infrastructure. So I think we are positioned well. Again, at the same time, there's a lot of risk in investment markets. You know, there's a lot of question about credit risk. There's a lot of uh, questions about real estate. So you really need a partner like Allianz to navigate these markets because it's very dangerous out there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.